0: Aren't those loons pretty?
1: They make me feel like I'm camping.
0: There you go. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. A.K.A. The other guy. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Scott? Nothing. You got a new dog. Got a new dog.
1: And your dog's name is? Tenko. T-E-N-K-O. Tenko. Like, yeah. And it's Japanese for? Uh, the highest form of spirit fox. Interesting. Something like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, he does look like a fox. It's he awesome. does. Yeah. He just doesn't have the black dinner gloves on that the, no <laughs> the fox usually wears. <laughs> He's crazy. I love him. Tenko's great. He's a gray little guy. I love him. All right. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. As our content contains mature themes, harsh language, and graphic descriptions of violent crimes, listener discretion is strongly advised. We are not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we professional journalists. We're just too regular, or as Scott has told, irregular Canadians interested in the dark side of Canadian history. hmm in the spring of 1976, the small city of Port Moody, British Columbia, was shocked by the disappearance of 12-year-old Abby Drover. The ordeal that Abby had undergone would not be revealed until the fall of that year. What happened to Abby at the hands of her abductor made news all around the world. Yeah, I'd like to say I remember it, but I was uh, three.
1: Yeah. But I, like, I do remember hearing about it, because it... The story continued for quite some time. It was always in the Absolute. press. So it was so, always in the news. So it's a familiar
0: one. Well, let's get to it. Put mm. on your toque, grab yourself a double double and an Animo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. <laughs> This is episode 31. We want to start out by thanking our regular subscribers and welcome our new listeners. We appreciate that you're filling your ears with our dark poutine. Yum. Yum, yum. Very cheesy in the ears. Mm. This case is more local uh, one to us. We were both quite young when it happened, so I don't think we'll remember when it was actually taking place. And Scott, you've already mentioned that. Yeah. Nope.
1: Don't remember. I had bigger things to fry at the age of three. Like?
0: Oh, God, I don't know. Figuring out how to shit in a toilet? Port Moody is the smallest of the Tri-Cities bordering the others Burnaby and Coquitlam, all east of Vancouver. Port Moody was the home to members of the Coast Salish First Nation tribal groups, the Squamish and Musqueam. That was for eons prior to 1858 when the Gold Rush began on the Fraser River. Ooh, Gold Rush. The Gold Rush. At the same time, royal engineers who were commanded by Colonel Richard Moody, that's how Port Moody was named. Learning. Learning as we go here. Learning. He directed his troops to clear a trail from the new capital of BC, which was New West. The royal city. To Burrard Inlet. This was to allow resupply and reinforcements from the north if New Westminster was attacked from the south. Uh oh the trail, now known as North Road, mm. was carved out between the two places and a small cluster of tents and shacks grew into the town and later city of Port Moody. I got a bone
1: to pick with North Road. Okay. It, it changes its name three times as you're driving along a one road changes its name three times. Yeah, Dudney
0: Trunk does that a bunch of times too. It's frustrating, yeah? It is. From portmoody.ca, the town also saw a boost in attention and population in 1879, when it was officially named Western Terminus for the Canadian Pacific Railway. Mm -mm. The transcontinental line promised in 1871 by Prime Minister Sir John A. Macdonald. Ah. The first passenger train from Montreal arrived in Port Moody at noon on July 4th, 1886. Damn, that was a while ago. And it had about 150 passengers after a 139-hour or 4,655-kilometer trip. Yeah, Canada big. Canada big. I'm gonna I'm about to drive it, so yeah. I don't think it's going to take me 139 <laughs> hours, though. <laughs> if it does, call the RCMP. Yeah, or not, or well. Yeah, fair enough. You're a big boy, Mike. In 1976, Port Moody had less than half its current population of just over 33,000. It was an attractive community for young families wanting to be just outside the bustle of Vancouver, but close enough to commute the 30 minutes just down the Highway 7A into the city centre. Abby Rebecca Drover was born to her mother Ruth and father Cecil on May 3rd, 1963. She was the youngest of three girls. Cecil and Ruth were already in the midst of a divorce at the time. Lack of money had been a huge problem in their marriage, Mm. as it is in many. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't have any. so That helps a lot. That's lack of money.
1: Oh, shit. Yeah.
0: When Cecil saw Abby in the hospital as a newborn, it was one of the last times Ruth and the girls would see him for more than 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Ruth got a steady job at TransWest Helicopters in Burnaby, and she was pretty happy working there. The family's living arrangements were another story. After living in a rundown house, Ruth Drover moved her three girls, Kathleen, she was 17, Robin was 15, and Abby was 12, Mm. to 1617 Barnett Highway, which is in reality just off Gore Street in Port Moody in November of 1975. And is also North Road. No, it is not. Oh, wait, no, no. Okay, that's part. Yeah, yeah. No. There were only four or five homes along Gore Street at the time. Kathleen and Robin were still attending school in Burnaby and would bus there every day. As Abby was younger, she was enrolled in a local school, so she would not have to travel as far as her sisters. That makes sense. Abby was slowly making friends at her new school and with the kids in the neighborhood. She'd been taunted a few times for wearing a dress instead of jeans and didn't like her half-hour walk between home and school. Screw
1: those kids, wear your dress.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well,
1: you know, school age so people are going to be mean.
0: She took to the boys in the neighborhood quickly, befriending a few of them and playing football. One in particular named Mike caught Abby's eye and even took her on her first ever date to oh. watch a hockey game. Oh. <laughs> That's coming for you, Scott. Oh, I
1: don't, no, shut up.
0: Abby also learned about Donald Hay, the neighbor at the very top of Gore Street. He spent lots of time in his garage workshop doing carpentry projects, and he was working on building a couple of campers. Oh, okay. He was friendly with the kids on Gore Street, often fixing something for them, like a broken bike. Mm -hmm. Mike told Abby about Mr. Hayes' dark side too. Oh. The rumor was that he liked his liquor. One night he'd gotten drunk and held his family at gunpoint while he ranted. His wife and kids escaped to a neighboring home and called police. He was arrested, but as far as anyone knew, he'd only spent a single night in jail, sleeping it off.
1: I mean, we've all been drunk and held our family at gunpoint.
0: Sure. It's something that just happens. It just happens. If you don't hold your family at gunpoint, you haven't lived. Right. Complete, yeah. Yeah. We don't advocate doing that. No, don't do that. One afternoon, Robin Drover was chased and bitten by an angry dog. Donald Hay showed up and chased the dog off. He didn't seem so scary after all.
1: Yeah, well, typically you kind of keep those hostage family takings down the down low.
0: Yeah. After getting to know the Hay family more, the Drover girls hung around the house often with his kids, sometimes watching Donald work in his garage. Donald Hay really seemed to take a shine to Abby, telling her she could hang out anytime she wanted to watch him work. Oh, God. What?
1: and. Um, uh- I see where this is going. You can spoil
0: it for people. I'm not
1: spoil. I'm just. It's, you asked the question and I answered it. I don't yeah, like is this guy. Ugh.
0: At four fifteen in the afternoon on March tenth, nineteen seventy six, Abby had still not returned home from school. This was unusual for her, as the elementary school she attended was fairly close to home. She typically made it by a quarter to four, but no later. Ruth was worried and sent her middle daughter, Robin, out to look for Abby in the small, dead-end street. Robin came back to the house a short while later, saying she'd talked to all the neighbors and no one had seen Abby. Brent Hay, who was the local paper boy and friend to Abby, said he had not seen her. And, in fact, he hadn't seen her at school the whole day. Oh, jeez. Nor had his sisters, who were also friends of the Drover girls. Oh. So she had, she didn't make it to school.
1: Oh, I think, uh, as I've talked about before, I get panicky at like just reading these things because of the fear of like, oh God, how, how would.
0: I think some, some of these stories I pick just to torture you. I think you do, jerk. No, I don't really do that. This actually was brought to us by a listener, this story.
1: Yeah. Oh, was it?
0: Yep. Uh, Ruth's intuition told her something wasn't right. It was unlike Abby to be late, let alone skip school. That was unheard of. Mm -hmm. Had she run away? Ruth uh, recalled a small argument with Abby about hair curlers earlier, but that didn't seem to be enough to make her take off. Yeah, but you're going to start analyzing everything. There had been some weird occurrences in the neighborhood, which seemed a little off. For example, someone had been siphoning their heating oil. Ruth had heard and reported drunken teens shooting at cars along the Barnett highway one night.
1: Not just America, people.
0: She did not follow up with Port Moody police and they didn't contact her again about it. Something odd must have happened to Abby. Mm. At 6.30 PM, Ruth contacted the Port Moody police. She was upset and blamed herself for being a working mother and not being home to ensure her daughter's safety. Oh God, that's tough. I relate to this every time I see it is that it's my fault that this bad thing happened to me. I think as a parent, it's so difficult to not jump to that. I know I would. Every survivor I know has that feeling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Police comforted Ruth. Kids usually turn up pretty quickly, but Ruth knew something was up. Immediately, police suspicion fell on Cecil Drover. Ruth told the cops that he hadn't seen Abby since she was a baby and that she wasn't even sure where he was living at that point. Ruth gave the police a few recent photos of Abby and gave them her description. Abby was five foot three, weighed about 90 pounds and had a slim build. She had collar length, brown hair and blue green eyes. Abby had been wearing a beige turtleneck sweater and blue buttoned vest. Apparently those were both homemade by her grandmother. Oh, very cool. She was also wearing a gold colored ski jacket and blue slacks. Police called around to other police districts and local hospitals hoping to find Abby, and there was no sign of her anywhere. Don Hay and his wife Hilda came by and offered to take the girls out in his truck to look for Abby. Don and Hilda had their share of problems, like Don's drinking, but the least they could do was help out a neighbor in need. Don and the drover girls looked all over for Abby. The girls told Ruth he'd even paged her over the Kmart loudspeaker. Hmm. Other neighbors looked around as well as Ruth manned the phone lines, calling all the friends and family she could think of. She racked her brain trying to come up with the places Abby could have gone. God,
1: yeah, the panic.
0: That weekend, the search widened to include players from a local hockey league and other volunteers on foot, 4x4, and dirt bikes. They looked throughout the heavily wooded areas off the beaten path, hoping for some sign of Abby. Even two choppers from Ruth's employer, TransWest Helicopters, were lent out to the search efforts. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Some even considered a cougar attack. The animals didn't typically attack adults, but Abby was small enough to have been dragged off into the woods by one of the large cats. Hmm. Reward posters were made up and distributed with Abby's description and multiple photos of her. Cecil, in the meantime, had been found. He was living in Calgary and had been there at the time of Abby's disappearance. He even attended to assist with the search efforts initially, but soon returned to Calgary.
1: Well, at least that's one suspect eliminated.
0: After about a week, as the search wound down, rewards for Abby's safe return and capture of the person or persons responsible for her disappearance were posted. Police looked into previously convicted and suspected rapists and pedophiles in the area, and they were taken by how many they actually found. Yeah, yeah. They made a point to talk to all of them as soon as possible. One of the names on the list was Donald Alexander Hay, the man who lived just up Gore Street, 200 meters away at 1601. Mm -hmm. Hay had been convicted of attempted rape 18 years prior in Brandon, Manitoba. He was also suspected of recently assaulting a young girl named Faith in Coquitlam. Oh God. He went right to the top of the suspect list in Abby's disappearance.
1: Yeah, well, has that history, lives close.
0: Yep. Cops found Hay working at his table saw in his garage. He was eager to help. Anything to find Abby safe. Hmm. Hay was convinced that she'd met with foul play, saying, when they catch the bastard, I hope they hang him high.
1: Hmm.
0: Hay allowed the cops to look around his workshop and in the camper he'd been building, standing back smoking as the cops searched. Confident. Yes. Finding nothing, the investigators left, telling Hay to report anything suspicious. Hay said that he would. Months passed with no sign of Abby. Every lead was a dead end. The Drover family and police were desperate. Port Moody police got a letter from a psychic who lived near Oliver, B.C. As we've learned, Scott really loves psychics.
1: Always a fucking psychic.
0: Well, they, they, they want to help.
1: uh, But
0: are they? I don't know.
1: (laughs) That's like, I personally can't recall in all of the uh, shows I've watched where a psychic has like led
0: the police in the right direction and solved something. Folks, please come to the Yard and and show Scott where psychics have actually done useful things. It's going to be a very dead thread. (laughs) That's right. Probably so. (laughs) There were maps and directions in the letter from the psychic. The cops searched the area mentioned. It was only three blocks from the drover's home. But it turned up no new information. Weird, goodness, I can't. Like, um, Our friend Robin Warder would invoke his tagline and the name of his podcast here. The trail went cold. <laughs> I love Robin; he's a great guy. I met him at CrimeCon. Oh, right on. On the evening of September fifth, nineteen seventy-six. Remember, she disappeared in March. Yep. So this is on the evening of September fifth, nineteen seventy-six. Donald Hay called a volunteer suicide hotline. He wanted to shoot himself. Hmm. He claimed his common law wife was leaving him for his heavy drinking. He wanted to die. He claimed he'd spent 18 months in Riverview at one point for excessive drinking, but had gone back to the bottle. He told the volunteer she would hear about him in the newspaper soon. That was before he hung up. Geez, And for those who don't know locally,
1: Riverview is, uh, was one of the largest, uh, uh, What would that be? It would be a mental institution at the time is what what it would have been called.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, a mental institution. It's it's quite large. They are reopening portions of it now. Good. Yep. We need the space, we need the facilities. Yep. So Don's wife Hilda had made dinner for Don, but he didn't come in from the garage to eat. She knew he'd be out in the garage drinking. This wasn't the first time that he'd skipped a meal. When Don still hadn't come in at nine thirty PM, Hilda went out to check on him. She beat on the door, calling for Don, no answer. Maybe he'd passed out, she thought. She even used a rock to bang on the door to wake him up, but only silence. Mm. Don had been talking about killing himself off and on for months and he'd attempted suicide a couple of times. Perhaps he'd finally done it. Hilda raced inside and called police in a panic, telling them she thought Don had committed suicide in the garage and she couldn't get in. Police attended and broke down the door at Hilda's request. Cops found the truck and camper that Don had been working on inside. They looked under the camper and in the cupboards, but there was no sign of Don. He was nowhere to be found. Hilda was adamant he was in there, but the police, unable to find him, told her that they would just file a missing persons complaint in her name and they walked up the driveway to their cruiser. So she saw him go in there
1: and not come out and they can't find him in there.
0: That's right. Mm, He's creepy. Hilda called emergency services again just after a short amount of time. She was claiming to have found Don dead in the garage. The police, who were just up the block, spun their car around uh, and heard Hilda screaming. Hmm. As the police entered the garage, here was Donald Hay crawling on hands and knees out of one of the cupboards they had searched just a few minutes earlier. What the f? Don leapt up on one of the workbenches appearing to be after something, so the cops tackled him to get him under control. Hmm. Oddly, Don's pants and underwear were down around his ankles. He asked to pull them up and they told him he could. One cop took Donald Hay toward the door while the other one went to look again at the cabinet that they'd seen Hay crawl out of.
1: What a scene that must be.
0: There was a dark hole in the floor of the cabinet. A piece of plywood had been covering up the hole. In the darkness, the face of a young girl appeared. The officer helped her out onto the garage floor where she collapsed. The other cop screamed, that's Abby Drover. Wow. Here she is. Just right up the street.
1: Wow. And alive. I mean, I'm sure not in the best of shape, but what a.
0: She was dirty. Yeah. Scarily thin, smelled awful and barely clad in rags. Abby Drover, missing since March of that same year, had been found and alive. Wow! Abby could barely walk. She hadn't used her legs over this amount of time mm. very much, so they had to help her into the police car and rush her to the hospital. Mm. Donald Alexander Hay—he was taken to the Clink, which is one of my favorite things to use for the for prison. The who's cow? Yeah, the Clink. I like, I like the Clink. Yeah. The pokey police rushed to Ruth Drover's house just down the block to share the good news. Here's Ruth recounting the moment she found out about Abby after six months of worry. It was midnight, and I just crawled into bed, and the doorbell rang. And I got up and I, I turned the, the hall light on, and I could see these two people standing in front of the door, and
1: I knew that's when I was going to hear. And I froze at the top of the stairs. I could not go down to answer the door. I was just absolutely frozen. And finally, I thought, I have to
0: go down and answer that door. And I got, went down and I answered the door and I, I opened it. And before I could say anything, they said, we found her, but she's alive. Wow. Right.
1: Wow. God, the fear she like Typically when that, you get that knock on the door late from the police, it's not not, not not good good news. news. And so, and thankfully they didn't
0: dance around. They were just like we found her alive. Yeah, just let her off the hook right away. Ruth rushed to the hospital to see her little girl. Obviously. Investigators discovered inside the cupboard was a hole easily covered by this plywood that had been painted the same color as the rest of the cupboard. This led to a ladder that went down 10 feet to a room with a padded door and heavy locks. Hmm. Abby Drover had been kept alone in a dungeon that was only six feet by seven feet under Donald Hay's garage. Wow. And this was for the entire time that she'd been missing. The dungeon, it's assumed, was built as a bomb shelter in the 1960s, but Hay converted it into a tiny cell to maintain control over Abby Drover. In the small bunker was heaps of trash, some shelves... A tiny bed, a chair, a sink, a chemical toilet that clearly had not been tended to in some time, and a single light bulb. Wow. At the hospital, caretakers noticed, written in blue ink, a number 177 on Abby's hand. She said she was writing on her hand to mark the days since her abduction. She was listening to the radio that Hay had left for her for news about her own story. Jesus, what a dirt bag. Somehow, she'd lost four days. It was actually 181 days since she'd disappeared. Abby began to share her story with the police. Police delicately asked Abby if she knew what intercourse was. She nodded. They asked Abby whether Donald Hay had had intercourse with her. She said yes. Fuck. They asked when was the last time this had happened. Abby indicated that it had been that day, right before she crawled out of the hole. Abby was given a rape exam by the doctors. She was asked many more questions about the specifics around Donald Hay's many sexual assaults of her. She told the police everything she could remember. The day before her abduction, Donald Hay had seen Abby with his stepson Brent and offered them both a ride home. Abby sat in the middle of the truck next to Hay. Although she was cold, she was wearing a navy blue dress that day. As Hay drove, when switching gears, he would touch Abby on the leg, putting his hand on her knee. Abby said she didn't think much of it at all that day. Hay's true intentions came clear later the next day. Oh my God. Here are some portions of Abby Drover's statement to police at 3 a.m. on September 7, 1976. I've edited out some of the more graphic details. Good. After Mom left... He, Donald Hay, phoned and said he would give me a ride. So about 8.10, I went over. He told me to cut through the yards. And I assume that he told her that because he didn't want anyone to see her. Coming in the front, yeah. I was going down the stairs when he came up and grabbed me. He half picked me up and half dragged me into the garage and kind of pushed me into the hole and made me go down the ladder. After he got me in the room, he came in. He said, we're going to play house for a little while. <sighs> Donald Hay proceeded to rape the 12-year-old at that point. He left briefly and returned with Abby's school books. He said he would let her go if she was good, but eventually she realized he intended to keep her there. Yep. Abby was chained to the wall and Hay left. Although Abby was able to escape the chains, she couldn't get out through the locked and padded door. Hay began returning daily early on, raping Abby with each encounter, forcing her to perform sex acts on him as well. Between visits, Abby would scream herself hoarse, yelling for help, but no one came. Poor girl. Abby said Hay was typically drunk when he would show up. Hay sometimes threatened to hurt or strangle her. Abby's only company was the radio that Hay had left her. She listened to talk radio so she could hear voices of someone other than her abductor. She longed to see her mom and sisters who were so close by. She wondered what they were doing on many days. They're right there in the neighborhood.
1: I know. Like that. What a odd crazy, challenging
0: scenario. Can't imagine. Abby spent her 13th birthday in the hole, writing the days on her palm with a pen from her school supplies to keep her connected to the outside. Abby even made Hay a card with a poem inside out of her school notebooks for his birthday. She was trying to gain some good favor from her captor, but he didn't seem to care at all. What a smart girl, though. At one point, Hay told Abby, your mom's bought a new truck. I guess she doesn't care about you as much as you think.
1: What an... Like, just everything about this man.
0: There were times throughout Abby's captivity that Hay would disappear. He'd attempted suicide a couple of times, and after one attempt, he took off with his family for a, quote, much-needed vacation. This meant Abby had no real meals for quite a long time. Hay left her some snacks, but she went through those quickly eating a lot of pudding, ketchup, and mustard packets, as well as some powdered milk. Wow. Once, when the single light bulb burnt out, in the darkness, she felt bugs crawling all over her. After Hay replaced the bulb, Abby plugged up the air vent, as that's where the bugs were coming in from. Oh my god. Hay visited Abby less and less frequently. Abby, too, was considering suicide. She considered taking alcohol and sedatives left behind by Hay to do herself in, and even thought about drowning herself in the sink. Abby was getting weaker. At one point in her despondence, she wrote a note and stuffed it into the lining of her winter boot. It read, To whoever this may concern, if I, Abby Drover, ever live through this, I will try to donate my life to Christ. And if I don't live through this, I will go to heaven and serve Christ. If I don't live through this, I would like my body to be cremated and the ashes poured all over my house at 1617 Barnett Highway. Signed, Abby Drover. And there was a postscript, if you find me dead, my killer was Donald Hay of 1601 Gore Street. I also died, if so, after my 13th birthday.
1: This is not something a 13 year old should ever have to write or contemplate. Or even think think about,
0: about, yeah. In the last six weeks of Abby's ordeal, Hay came only once prior to the night of her escape and he gave her Kentucky fried chicken, which was the only real meal she had for that entire time. God. Don Hay stopped emptying the chemical toilet and the garbage piled up. Hay was with Abby in the hole when they both heard the cops break in and announce themselves on that last night of Abby's captivity. He had raped her earlier that evening. When he heard police, Hay threatened to kill Abby if she made a sound. He had one hand over her mouth and the other arm around her throat. In 1997, Abby recounted the moments of her escape to CBC.
1: All I could think of was just put my clothes on and try and go out. And I I did that. I climbed up. That's probably one of the least clear memories I have because I, I just didn't realize that it was actually finally over. I kept expecting something to happen to say, sorry, you're still not getting free. And then when I saw the police, I just started to cry. God, an amazing person.
0: Donald Alexander Hay pled guilty to the crimes of having sex with somebody under 14 years old and kidnapping. He was sentenced to life in prison, but would be eligible for parole after only seven years behind bars. In 1997, after being in prison a decade, Hay had been on 150 passes from prison and wanted full parole. So they were giving this guy day passes. Mm -hmm. He didn't get full parole. Good. Yes, exactly. And good thing. In 2000, Donald Hay, now 67, faced five more criminal charges related to indecent assault, gross indecency and rape of three girls between 1970 and 1976. Mm -hmm. He pled not guilty. The survivors had come forward to tell their own tales of sexual violence at the hands of Donald Alexander Hay. Well, one wouldn't think that his first
1: offense would be to kidnap and keep somebody in a chamber, a uh, tip in raper. Typically, there's going to be lead up, so it makes sense. Yep. It makes sense that there's other victims.
0: Abby testified about her own ordeal, finally getting to face her captor in court. When Abby was asked why she agreed to testify, she said, I didn't want any other children to become victims of Donald Hay. girl. We don't know what happened with that other case. Uh, Mr. Justice Ken Smith of the Supreme Court of British Columbia has imposed a publication ban on any information that could identify the complainants and they haven't made themselves known. In 2001, he's up for parole again. From a Globe and Mail article, Please don't let him out, Drover pleaded. I was always terrified to think of him being released. And now after hearing him speak, deny, and still minimize his crimes, it horrifies me to think that day will ever come and that he will walk free.
1: Yeah, this is when I remember hearing most about it was when his parole was up because it was all over the news again.
0: Yeah, because every five years he, he had a parole hearing. Yeah. In 2006, Hay was denied parole again. He just could not take full responsibility for what he'd done. He continued to blame alcohol for his crimes, claiming he was, quote, helping Abby. He thought she was being abused. Bullshit. He wanted to take her away and be her friend, maybe get an apartment with her.
1: Yeah, I mean.
0: That sounds like a healthy outlook.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly don't keep my friends, well, not many of them, in a whole Into my garage and rape them repeatedly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very, very different definition of friends.
0: In his denial, parole board members said that Mr. Hay does not have insight into why he committed the crimes. And he had many advocates, people who would advocate for him getting out as well. For real? In the community. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He'd made some friends in Saskatoon who were advocating for him, but he never got out. Donald Alexander Hay did what many people hoped he would do. In June of 2012, he died at the Regional Psychiatric Center in Saskatoon. And this was where he was serving his indeterminate sentence for what he did to Abby. And I've written here, see you later, asshole.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I don't think we'll be seeing him later, I hope. But, uh. Yeah. If there is an
0: afterlife, I hope I'm going to a different place. Yes, but good riddance, asshole. Yeah, Maybe. CBC made a documentary in 1997 and spoke to both Abby Drover and Donald Hay. All the audio clips in the episode came from this documentary. Yeah. In the documentary, Hay wanted to apologize for what he'd done, so let's listen to what he had to say. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be heartfelt. It was, it was interesting. I have it tagged as shitty apology. Inserts shitty apology. Yeah. yeah. Very very sorry it had to happen like words there aren't words I don't know words strong enough to express how bad I feel about what I did to her Abby was a good kid uh um she never gave me a minute's trouble down there like even after the fact she um she was just a beautiful child and uh, I don't know why it happened I'm 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 really really sorry it
1: happened she was in the wrong place at the wrong time no, you were you piece of shit.
0: And he he said she didn't give him any trouble down there. Is he referring to having her in the in the dungeon? He's referring to that, yes. And so he thinks this is okay and an appau- well, like well, she's a great kid.
1: Yeah. This it, is the what, way to what, apologize. What a bizarre and disgusting thing to say. Like she was such a good kid. She didn't even complain as I raped her. Like, fuck off. Yep. Jesus Christ. Yep.
0: Not a good man.
1: No. Uh, And bullshit on the, I don't even know why I did it. You do, you just don't want to admit it.
0: We'll leave Abby with the last word before our comments and the shout outs. And this is her response to uh, the shitty apology from Donald Hay. I can't wait.
1: 21 years later, I am still in prison, a prison he created for me. And I don't see how he could expect me to forgive him. Wow. She was way too kind. Yep. Well, I am really, really amazed by by Abby. What a strong person and what a piece of shit he is.
0: Yeah. So that's it for episode 31. Holy crap.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's the interesting thing about these cases is that, uh, You know, Canada is a wonderful place. We are very kind and say sorry a lot, but that doesn't mean we're not prone to disgusting human beings like this man.
0: Yeah. There are some real winners here in this country as well. Yeah, absolutely. I just recently picked up a book written by the RCMP officers who helped to investigate and convict Clifford Olson. Oh
1: God, that's got to be heavy.
0: I haven't read it. I just got it today. It just came in the mail today. So I'm really looking forward to it. That's
1: going to be heavy.
0: So a few people have sent me some howdy hoes via email and those kind of things. And and I've been really thinking about it pretty hard. Mm -hmm. And some of them say, why don't you do Ted Bundy? Why don't you do Jeffrey Dahmer? Why don't you do Jack the Ripper? Why don't you do, you know, all of those other cases that happen outside of Canada? And I think... Well, yeah, you know what? We've limited ourselves in a way by doing cases that only happen here in Canada. So what I'm proposing is that perhaps we can do those. You know how hockey teams, they will actually travel. They will. Right? Yes, yes. They'll travel, they'll go to different places to and, play a game. And lose. If you're the if Canucks. If you're the Canucks, yeah. they go and lose. And so what we call that is an away game. That is what it's called. I think once a month, dark poutine, is going to start to do an away game. Mm-mm, I like where this is going. Yeah, so we can talk about uh, some of the things that you and I have always wanted to talk about, like Ted Bundy, for example. That was is very close by. Yes. Yeah. The Green River Killer. Yes. Also very close by. Yes. We will still talk about Canadian cases three out of four episodes. Yep. But that fourth one will be an away game.
1: Yeah, well, just because they're not in Canada, doesn't mean
0: they don't captivate us here in Canada. Absolutely. And you will still get our perspective on it. We will, yeah. we will treat it the way we treat every other case. And we will throw some
1: aboots out a-boots. there and
0: uh, yeah. other Canadian sayings. Yep. Okay, Scott. <laughs> Scott's, <laughs> Scott's a loss for words, which is actually unusual. I've got uh, puppy fatigue. You've got, he's got puppy fatigue. Puppy fatigue. That dog is the cutest thing. Holy shit. He is really, really cool. (laughs) Yeah. He's a great dog. Like I like him a lot. He's, I picked him up and he just, he squirmed away, but you could tell he was very friendly. Yeah. Oh, he is. Yes. Yeah. He likes people. Yeah. And he likes other dogs. Yes. Except the ones who. Chase Bibby. Chase uh, Bibberino. Yeah. And Bibby is the nickname of one of Scott's daughters. Yeah, Olivia. Yeah. We call her Bibby.
1: And why, how did that come about? Uh, while she was in the womb, Violet was about two and a half and, uh, she couldn't pronounce her V's. And so we had told her that, uh, you know, her sister's name is going to be Olivia. And so she couldn't pronounce it. So she would always go, oh Bibbia, oh Bibbia. And so we just thought that was adorable.
0: And, and so, shortened it to Bibby, and and now Bibby is is this girl's nickname, and it's stuck for. That's,
1: it's what she's called. Yeah, we typically yeah. say Bibby. She's pretty cool, kid. Dude, oh my god, she's she's incredible. Both my girls are incredible. A little adorable tangent there to pull away from uh, child captivity. You just have dog captivity now. <laughs> oh fuck! That thing's not captive. Trust me, it's yeah. a, it. It like the ratio of its size compared to uh, where we live is like he's it's
0: yeah. A, it's a, it's like a huge house for him. Yeah,
1: endless possible Well, our houses aren't small. They're like five five levels. I know, but imagine yourself now, like
0: a foot tall. <laughs> I'm almost that. <laughs> That's true. Both <laughs> of us are. Hey. That's true. Yeah, it's true. Well, let's give some shout outs to our, uh, Patreon patrons. We just passed a hundred patrons. We're up to 104 now, which is amazing. So I've set some new goals for ourselves. Uh, you can go read about those on, uh, uh, patreon.com slash darkpoutine. And the people we'd like to thank, uh, tonight are Tracy Hansen. Thank you for having an easy name to pronounce. (laughs) She, she's from Burnsville, Minnesota. Any relation to Chris Hansen? And maybe not. Probably not. Would you like some lemonade? Yeah. Come on in and have some lemonade. I don't do, well, no, yeah. Uh, Marie-Hélène Robin, which sounds like a very, uh, French first name, but I don't think Robin is a, is a French last name. I don't know for sure. Well, she may have had a French last name and then got married. That is very possible. Okay. Scott, look at Scott doing detective. Detective Hemingway is basically in the house. a detective, uh, pretty much a detective. Alexander Cocott, I hope I pronounced your name, uh, Alex, correctly. Uh, he's from Oshawa, Ontario, and he's one of the hosts of Spoop Files. Oh, Spoop Files. Thing. They told us to go shit in our hats last they, week.
1: They did. That was a, one of the best things. Loved he, it.
0: Yeah. Thank you, uh, <laughs> Alex. And okay, so here's one that's an interesting spelling. It's only four letters, but how would you pronounce this, Scott? It's Maya. Is it Maya? Maya. Or is it Maya? It's Maya. Okay. So Maya Newton from Minden, Ontario. And if I had it correct and Scott had it wrong, we need to know this. It's just, yes, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm typically often. Have to you the ever long... heard the
1: name Maya? Maya Maya Maya. No.
0: It sounds like Hawaiian. Have you ever heard the name Maya? Yes. Yes, a, a lot. Yes. Oh, here's Helen Marie Weeks in Ottawa, Ontario. So we, we've reversed the Helens and the Maries. That sounds bizarre. Kimberly Pavone in Niagara Falls, Ontario. Oh, I want to go there someday. Uh, I will be there someday uh, in the summer. Good. I will also be in Minnesota <laughs> and I will also probably be in Oshawa and Ottawa. Wow. I'm going to be in all those places because I'm driving there. Maybe. Here's a place though where I won't be. Perth, Australia. That's where Deb Stronich is from. Thank you, Deb. Deb Stronach And Gaines Drive. This is the person's name, apparently, from Cleveland. Wow. Gaines Drive. Wow. It was interesting. Wow. Say hi
1: to, uh, uh. Rich Franklin for me.
0: Who's Rich Franklin? Oh no, he lives
1: in Cincinnati. He was a UFC fighter. He lives in Cincinnati. I just got my C's mixed up.
0: Uh, the True Crime Breakdown podcast, uh, gave us a little, little nudge. Thank you very much for your pledge.
1: Bring it on down.
0: We have another Prime Minister Scott. Prime Minister Scott? No. This is Prime Minister Samantha Meadows. Wow. And she's from Sault Ste. Marie in Ontario. Jeez, Samantha. So what we're going to have to do, we're going to have to do, I think a special episode where we will interview all of our prime ministers for a few minutes. Oh, how great is that? Yeah. Yeah. So everybody who is a prime minister, uh, we'd like to do that this sometime this summer. So maybe we'll create a, uh, a private group on Facebook if you're all there on Facebook. I think most of the people are already in the umber yard who are prime ministers, Mm -hmm. but Let's do this. Let's get this done. Let's get an episode with you folks so we can have a conversation with you and uh, you can share your prime ministerial wisdom with the rest of us. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh,
1: we've got some pretty amazing people
0: yeah, who so, are prime ministers. So. so we'll have like a five minute conversation yeah. with everybody. And then I would also like to do a bit of a primer on being Canadian. Oh, at the same time. So we'll talk about the prime ministers. We'll talk with the prime ministers, and then we will share what's an animal bar. Just heaven. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Uh, what's a butter tart? Also no, heaven. Yeah. It's yeah, not, it's, it's not as heavenly to me. It's pretty good. It's good. No, for sure. There are people who would kill you for saying that. It's well,
1: I didn't, good. I didn't say it's bad. I just to mean and I carry from
0: the Yumber yard wants wants to go to war over you know, uh, Nanaimo bars and butter tarts. Oh really I missed I missed this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we had a bit of a conversation the oh,
1: wow. This is <laughs> these are Canadian wars, people.
0: So yes. Thank you Samantha Meadows our our next our newest prime minister. Super uh, great. Much appreciated. Also Kelsey Ray Connor from West Pine Ridge Manitoba. Oh. More, uh, very, very easy things for me to say.
1: Yeah. Never heard of West Pine Ridge.
0: Our friend, Christy Foster from Rossford, Ohio, and she's a very active newer member in the Yumber Yard. She is welcome. We really dig you there. And another good egg from the Yumber Yard pledged to us, and that's Kaz Every. Oh, thanks, thanks, Kaz. Thanks, Kaz. So thank you so much for your pledges. We really appreciate it. If you want to donate to us, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine or send us some donut money via PayPal at our email, darkpoutinepodcasts at gmail.com. Check out our website, www.darkpoutine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine and tell your friends about us. Come on to the Yard. It's getting pretty busy in there. Yeah, I can't keep I'm up ha- with it, but I love it. I'm having a hard time keeping up. We might have to get some uh, social media assistance here yeah. pretty soon. I, uh, this is probably a good idea. But it's a,
1: it's it's amazing how wonderful the community still is. Like it's it, that it's getting this large and still just positive and, and positivity and support. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Not a lot of trolls. No, it's really it's really quite. Uh, Quite amazing to see.
0: You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast directory, like iTunes, Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Spotify. That's it for this week. Amazing. So, you know what the sign off usually is. It's uh, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. That's correct. There you go. Yeah. So I said that. He said it. Bye bye everybody. Bye bye.